All right, well, welcome back, and um, just want to show you a couple of quick things here uh, for part three, or for the number three, the spirit of pride. But before I do that, wanted to mention, if you've not signed up for our newsletter, uh, there's a little card like this, looks like a business card. It's not actually our business card. They're also back there if you want to take my card so you can contact me anytime. Love to dialogue with you. But this one looks like a business card, but all it's got is a blank line, and it says sign up for our newsletter. You can put your email address on that, and we'll add you to our list. Uh, a good way to stay in touch with what we're doing at Not By Works Ministries and uh, kind of stay in the loop and, and uh, kind of follow our uh, ministry and so forth. If you're watching by live stream or watching the video later, you can go to notbyworks.org and just on the homepage there, scroll to the bottom, and you'll see a place to put in your email address, and you can sign up yourself. So we've talked about the spirit of pretense or deception, and we actually spend several videos in the 18-part series talking about different aspects of deception. And then we talked about spirit of phenomena, and uh, we left off with that where we talked about uh, mostly UFOs in the first uh, uh, section, but then I kind of left off with... Uh, mentioning paranormal activity, skinwalker ranch, unexplained disappearances. There's a lot of things going on that are unexplained as we see an uptick in this cosmic struggle between uh, good and evil. Uh, by the way, I just remember, don't forget um, uh, the church has graciously agreed to make available to everyone getting the gospel wrong and what lies ahead, which are two of my books. I actually co-wrote What Lies Ahead with the, your pastor, Mark. And so if you want one of those, all you got to do is sign the sheet back there. And, uh, and Mark has said, commit to read it. So don't just use it as a book stop, although they do make good book, I mean, doorstop. They do make good doorstops. Um, but if you'll read it, we'll, he'll, uh, the church will provide that for you so you can sign up for it at the resource tables and then just take one of those books. But lots of other good stuff back there as well. So the spirit of pride is another key aspect of the Antichrist reign. You see it all over the place in the biblical descriptions of the future Antichrist. And boy, do we see an uptick in uh, pride today. And um, so uh, in the series, we give lots of examples of that and, and, and talk about that. I'm going to you know, not spend any more time on that here, but I do want to show you a couple of clips that sort of draw together the deception aspect and the Operation Mockingbird and the controlled state-run media with this, you know, uh, this pridefulness, this incipient hubris on the part of those that are involved in uh, the Luciferian conspiracy. So here's a quote uh, from none other than Wal uh, Walter Cronkite as he's receiving a, a, an award. And then I'm going to follow it up at the same event with the MC uh, talking about... Uh, or introducing a message from then First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton, and you'll hear what she has to say. But listen closely as Cronkite here disparages uh, a leading evangelical of the day and actually praises Satan. You ready? Their leader, Pat Robinson, has written in a book a few years ago that we should have a world government, but only when the Messiah arrives. <laughs> He wrote, and any attempt to achieve world order before that time must be the work of the devil. Well, join me. I'm glad to sit here at the right hand of Satan. Well, join me. I'm glad to sit here at the right hand of Satan. Do you hear how they all laughed and mocked these elites as somebody? Now, I'm not necessarily a Pat Robertson fan. I think some of his theology is a little off, but... but he was right about what he said, that we're not going to have a true world government, at least a benevolent one, until the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Messiah, comes back, right? But join me, Quancat says, right here at the right hand of Satan. We would like to bring you a message from the First Lady of the United States, Hillary Clinton. Good evening and congratulations, Walter, on receiving the World Federalist Association's Global Governance Award. For more than a generation in America, it wasn't the news until Walter Cronkite told us it was the news. So congratulations for receiving this award, on world, uh, this award about world government. 
and then she's just basically repeating the same mantra that it's not news until Walter Cronkite said it was news. There was more propaganda, if you can even imagine it, back in that day when there was limited number of sources than there is uh, today. So this has been going on uh, for a very long time. So uh, let's move on to number four, which is the spirit of power. The spirit of power. So we know, uh, that again, according to Scripture, that when the Antichrist, capital A, comes, he's going to do so with all power. Revelation tells us all authority was going to given him, be given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Uh, Paul talks about how he is the prince of the power of the air. Satan is, who is the one who is, as we've seen, empowering uh, the Antichrist. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, as we read earlier, but against principalities and what? Powers and powers. In Daniel 7, we read that the beast, the future Antichrist, is going to be exceedingly dreadful and terrible and exceedingly uh, strong. We already saw how the dragon, Satan, is going to give him his power, his throne, and great authority. So there's no question that this Antichrist is going to rule with an iron fist. Uh, now, how do we see that playing itself out today? Well, we see it, quite frankly, from the earliest days of our country in the establishment of a new world order. Why do you think they called this the new world, by the way? Look that up sometime. You'll be shocked. <laughs> it wasn't because it was just some new discovery that Columbus stumbled upon. It was because these Satan worshipers from Freemasonry were looking for a beachhead, a new place from which they could do Satan's bidding and eventually come up with a new world uh, order. Uh, by the way, the Illuminati, which was the Western, uh, I mean, the, the American uh, side of Freemasonry, was launched. Anybody know what day the Illuminati began on? Again, you can look it up. July 4th, 1776. So, um, Nothing, it's never about what it's about. Almost nothing is what we, uh, we thought it was. Um, but so this new world order, again, is what they're striving for. And uh, in the uh, series, in fact, in several of my series, uh, the globalism, Luciferianism, the new world order, uh, red, white, and bad, great uh, last days deception DVD, I actually <laughs> diagram out uh, the Luciferian conspiracy. I spend more time going through each of these sections, but I wanted to at least throw the diagram up there for you. At the top tier, there are basically six or eight families who are literally talking to Satan the way you and I talk to God. They're giving their marching orders directly from him. They're sacrificing children and drinking blood. Don't think it's happening? Well, look, read your Bible. It happened in the ancient Near East with Moloch and Ashtoreths and other ones. And what did we say? Depravity is a degenerative disease. Are we to think that that kind of thing, sacrificing children and drinking blood, happened 2,000 years before Christ and then all of a sudden we got better and no, no longer do it? Of course we do it. This coming Wednesday in my series, What in the World is Going On, I'm going to be uh, talking about part seven, uh, which is uh, secret societies. And I'm going to be mentioning Bohemian Grove, where the, the elite of the elite, top tier world leaders, presidents, prime ministers, uh, you name it, kings, come over and meet every summer at, uh, a, in, in the woods north of San Francisco and hold a secret satanic meeting. There was a reporter that snuck in there a few years ago with a hidden camera posing as a male prostitute. That's the only way he got in and uh, re recorded some of the things that are happening. We now know what goes on there and they do a, allegedly anyway an effigy of a child sacrifice in, the, in what they call the cremation of care ceremony at the end. The theme of that secret society is weaving spiders come not hither which is to say you don't uh, talk about what goes on here, but that's where they decide who's going to be president and who's not going to be president, who's going to run this, what companies are going to uh, expand, what companies are going to close, what nations are going to fall, what nations are going to rise. That's where things are mapped out, and you're not to speak about it when you leave there. And the closing ceremony is called cremation of care, in which everyone there is told to leave their conscience on the altar. Uh, if you have any twinge of conscience, then you're not part of the elite, and uh, you need not uh, come next time. And then they close it out with this massive burning owl, three stories tall, and they bring all wearing the druid satanic outfits. They bring out on a stretcher, allegedly, an effigy of a child. We don't know for sure because the camera couldn't zoom in close enough. We hope, we hope to God that it was an effigy and not just, and not real. 
Uh, but in any way, in any event, that's the kind of thing they're doing. So of course it's happening. The people at the top tier are not household names. They're not anyone you would probably know. Um, they're not the ones out front that are the face of the global elite. Um, but uh, the people at the second tier are. And that constitutes hundreds of thousands. And by the time you get to that second tier in blue on the screen there, there is a good percentage of them who do not know that this is a Luciferian conspiracy. They have other agendas. It might be power. It might be money or wealth or whatever. Uh, there's a good number that aren't aware that the top tiers of what's going on are actually Satan worshipers. But a good number of the second level are very much involved, especially in this area of secret societies with things like Skull and Bones and the Knights Templar and Opus Dei and others. So, or the Bavarian Illuminati, as I mentioned. And then at the third level, uh, virtually very few, and there are millions of people there, over a million, uh, that are involved, and most of them are unwitting pawns in the game. You know, sometimes I'll talk about different aspects of the CIA and different, you know, real-life stories that have come out of there, like about William Colby or William Casey or others, or George H.W. Bush and so forth. And people will scoff at me and say, well, that's not true. My aunt is a secretary on the third floor of the CIA building, and she never said anything about that. And I'll go, I'm pretty sure it's compartmentalized. Not everybody that works at the CIA is evil. I mean, there's good-hearted people. There's good-hearted people in the military. There's good, God-fearing patriots who love our country, love the Lord, and are trying to serve our country. Uh, it's very compartmentalized. But at this level, all of these groups are very much pawns in the game at being used by the Luciferians to try to usher in this one world system. So it's a lot easier to orchestrate such an incredible conspiracy than people realize. People often fall prey to the mistaken notion that, oh, if there was something that grandiose happening, we'd know about it. How? How would we know about it? They control the media. They control the textbooks. They control the education system. They control it all. Unless you actually do your own research, you're not going to know this stuff, and especially if you don't do your own research through the lens of the Bible. So it starts with that. There's a lot of misinformation out there. I was talking to someone at the break. There's a lot of intentionally misleading information to try to discredit the truth movement. But if you start as I did when I went down this rabbit hole, because I was blessed to have grown up in a Christian family, blessed to be called of the Lord in the ministry, blessed to have an opportunity to study the Bible uh, in my higher education. So by the time I got exposed to the truth, I already had a worldview, a, a framework, which is that the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God, and it gives us everything we need for life and godliness, and it tells us uh, everything for our, belief, our standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. So as I began going through all of this uh, information, I was able to spit out the stuff that doesn't uh, align with the, the narrative of God's word and accept the stuff uh, that does. So there absolutely is, both biblically and in terms of the historical record, a Luciferian conspiracy, and they're trying to take over the world, and we know, according to the biblical record, uh, that they will, at least for a short period of time. One of the key groups that you see over there on the left-hand side of the screen in the second tier under business and finance is the Council on Foreign Relations, or the CFR. Now, the Rockefeller Foundation, and especially David Rockefeller, played a central role in, in the total formation of the CFR and also the Trilateral Commission and many other groups. In fact, the Rockefeller Foundation and CFR are almost synonymous terms uh, today. If you go back to John D. Rockefeller in the turn of the 20th century, you can find out how influential the Rockefeller and Carnegie Foundations were in changing the course of the medical industry, the education industry, and the publishing industry. It's unbelievable. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, uh, they trace their origins back again to uh, World War I, and uh, the leader of it, of course, is uh, one of the most public figures, David Rockefeller. He died not too long ago at the age of 101. There's a reason why many of these global elites tend to live very, very old, because they have access to medicines that the common folk don't. But here's some quotes from David Rockefeller from his memoirs. Okay, this is him telling his life story. Quote, some even believe we are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. Well, if that's the charge, I stand guilty and I'm proud of it. Sounds similar to what Walter Cronkite said. He goes on, we are on the verge of a global transformation. 
This is at a speech that he gave uh, at the Trilateral uh, Commission. Uh, all we need is the right major crisis and the nations will accept the new world order. The world is now more sophisticated and prepared to march towards a world government. Watch this. This ought to chill you to the bone. The supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite, read Luciferian elite, and world bankers is surely preferable to the national autodetermination practiced in past centuries. In other words, national sovereignty which we're going to talk tomorrow morning about God's plan of government through the ages, starting with creation and Genesis coming all the way to the present time and the globalism versus nationalism juxtaposition. We're going to look at some scripture on that. But what he's basically saying is that national sovereignty is passe. It's a thing of the past. What we need is a few smart people, intellectual elites, that rule the world because they're the only ones that really know. We can't leave decisions up to just mere national presidents, right? Uh, of course, in America today, no, uh, never mind. Uh, we might be worried about our national president. I don't know. Uh, Prime Minister Winston Churchill said the creation of an authoritative world order, this was after World War II, is the ultimate aim toward which we must strive. Charles de Gaulle, uh, again, another World War II era uh, person. He was uh, the chairman of the provisional government of the French Republic from 44 to 46. Nations must unite in a world government or perish. James Paul Werber, turn of the 20th century. He was a major part of a major world banking company in tight with the Rockefellers. The uh, Warburg family uh, is, part, is the, basically the father of the Federal Reserve System. They're the ones that orchestrated that uh, secret meeting in Jekyll Island, started the uh, uh, Federal Reserve uh, in 1913. But anyway, he said, we shall have world government, whether you like it or not, by conquest or consent. He was a key advisor, by the way, to FDR. Zbigniew Brzezinski, who just died in 2017, leading Luciferian elite. Just do some research on, on him. You know, Not the mainstream propaganda pieces, the, the official biographies, but read his white papers. Read some of his own books. He served under LBJ. He served under Carter. He served under Reagan. And that's always a key sign of who's part of the elite is when they flop back and forth from party to party. We're going to talk more about that. Um, well, I don't know if we'll get to it or not, but I've, I've already kind of referenced the, fault, the fake, the right-left uh, paradigm. So when people, you know, serve in both parties routinely, you know, like some guy named Fauci comes to mind uh, for many decades, or Dick Cheney, you know, those kind of Democrats and Republicans, or they switch parties constantly, uh, uh, then that's, a, that's a, a clue that there's something more going on there. But anyway, Brzezinski said this, this regionalization is in keeping with the trilateral plan, which calls for a gradual convergence of East and West, ultimately leading toward the goal of a one-world government. National sovereignty is no longer a viable concept. He said the technotronic... This, by the way, is from his book called Between Two Ages, which he wrote in 1970. So they've been working on this for a long time. It goes back to centuries, actually, uh, in the modern era. Uh, we know satanically, and from the biblical record, it goes back to the beginning of the garden. But uh, in the modern era, this has been something they've been disclosing for many, many centuries. The technocratic era involves the gradual appearance of a more controlled society. Such a society would be dominated by an elite unrestrained by traditional values, and by that he means of liberty and conscience. Uh, those that get in the way. You know, these evangelical Christians, we need to get rid of them because they have a spiritual conscience. They have something higher telling them right from wrong. We need to get rid of them, and that's what we see happening very quickly in our own country. He said, soon it will be possible to, to assert, over, uh, assert almost continuous surveillance over every citizen and maintain up-to-date complete files containing even the most personal information about the citizen. These files will be subject to instantaneous retrieval by the authorities. Again, this was in 1970. Persisting social crisis, the emergence of a charismatic personality. Where is he getting these ideas from? And the exploitation of mass media, we've already talked about that, to obtain public confidence would be the stepping stones in the piecemeal transformation of the United States into a highly 
controlled society. One of the most frightening things that he said, and he said this just before he died in a speech in London uh, on November 17th, uh, uh, 2008. Today it is infinitely easier to kill one million people than to control one million people. See, Satan loves death. Jesus said that. He's a murderer from the beginning. They love death. They thrive on death. They, They gain their power from death. And in their own writings, they've been trying to depopulate the earth. That's what the whole eugenics movement uh, was about. If you go to the Georgia Guidestones, which we've uh, been to uh, outside of Atlanta, you can see that their goal is to reduce the earth's population to 500 million. So they're trying to kill people. That's what they want. Now, why would they want to do that? Well, for one thing, again, this, is the, 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 this earth, this globe is Satan's playground. He views this as his territory. And if that's the case, then his co-conspirators are going to have much more fun on it if there's less people. It's like if you go to Disney World, would you rather go with a few million of your closest friends or would you rather have the whole park to yourself? You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to get a fast pass. You can ride whatever ride you want as many times as you want all day because you own the park. Well, that's what the Luciferians want. They want this place for themselves. And in their own writings, they talk about wanting uh, 250,000 of them and then 250,000 uh, I mean, million rather of serfs, people to, to do, you know, their bidding and serve them and, and those clean up after them and all that. But the rest of them, they're just getting uh, in the way. And so that brings us to a guy that's really in the driver's seat right now of, of this one world system. And that's Klaus Schwab. Now, tomorrow morning, I'm going to talk about, uh, I'm going to basically summarize part one of my ongoing series called What in the World is Going On? I've now had six parts. Part seven will be Wednesday. But in part one, I introduced the Great Satanic Reset and Klaus Schwab. It will come as no surprise to know that he's in a long line of Luciferian elites. His uh, father was uh, a Nazi prison camp guard. Uh, so, uh, and, and, and his father was actually in the youth branch of that. Uh, but we'll talk more about that tomorrow. But anyway, I want you to watch that series. It's totally free. You can either listen to it on any podcast provider. Just search for Not By Works Ministries and listen to the audio. Or you can watch the actual videos with all of the visuals. And it's very, very telling. Because I'm not suggesting Klaus Schwab is the Antichrist by any stretch. Uh, I'm just suggesting that right now, this great satanic reset, as he explains in his book, COVID-19, The Great Reset, is really the driver's seat. They are accomplishing at warp speed the types of things they've talked about, the types of things that Zbigniew Brzezinski talked about in 1970, almost on a daily basis. And so he said, for example, the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. Uh, Back in 2016, he said humans will have a microchip implanted under the skin or in the brain within 10 years. In part five of my series, What in the World is Going On?, the topic was the Luciferian timetable. And I showed you in their own writings, including going back to Helena Blavatsky and Alice Bailey in the mid-20th century, 1940s. She died in like 49. How in her own writings, and she claims that she was channeling a demon to, to give all this information, repeatedly she refers to the year 2025. You see that come up many, many times in their time t- their timetable. Now, Satan is not omniscient and he's not omnipotent. And if God is sovereign and God's not ready to enter into the end game, the end times, then they could all fall flat on their face and we may see a spirit of revival for the next hundred years and and, and who knows. But I can tell you what their plan is and their plan has always been targeting the 2020s, 2025, 2026, those types of things. So that's what they're working toward. And here he is in 2016 talking about Within 10 years, we're going to have this, uh, this technology. So they're headed towards a one-world system, to be sure. Uh, it's a very powerful agenda, and they have to have control, uh, and they're already exerting that control. Um, now, obviously, in any one-world tyrannical system, national sovereignty goes out the window, and, and they have to also disarm uh, the citizenry. And maybe that's why recently our current president began dismantling the U.S. Constitution when, speaking of the Second Amendment, he said no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. I mean, just let that sink in for a second. 
He's already, and this has been going on for a while, I show uh, in Red, White, and Bad, I show a picture of a Time Magazine cover article with the U.S. Constitution going through a shredder, and the, the title article is, Does It Matter Anymore? So they've been undermining and ridiculing and mocking and trying to do away with the U.S. Constitution for at least two decades, overtly. Uh, but here's Biden essentially saying the Second Amendment is not absolute. In fact, that's not what he said. He said no amendment to the U.S. Constitution is absolute, which, as one commentator astutely pointed out, means that Biden just put slavery back on the table. <laughs> I mean, if no amendment is sacrosanct, then who knows what they're going to do next. So they're trying to, um, to confiscate guns. It's working pretty well uh, from their perspective uh, so far. Uh, so the, uh, the, the voluntary gun uh, submission programs all across the country, things like the gab and grab and other, uh, topic, uh, other approaches like that are working uh, quite well. The only ones that have uh, the guns are the criminals. So uh, the other things that we talk about in the spirit of power section of the series are uh, some of the other secret societies, which I mentioned. I talk about fake elections. Now, I was talking about, and I talk about it in Great Last Day's Deception, which I published in 2012, uh, fake elections and Chinese-owned uh, tabulation systems and uh, all of that way before uh, 2020, way before. And people laughed at me, people, you know, conservatives. I got disinvited from conservative conferences during the 2016 election because I didn't bow down and worship at the altar of Trump. And, uh, and I tried to explain to people this is all a rigged game. It's just a, it's just a fix. Um, and so, but finally, and I'm thankful for this, that they, they were so determined to get Biden in, according to their agenda, that they had to do the worst, most blatant manipulation of the tabulation machines ever. And it, and it was obvious, and everybody knows it. And of course, nothing's going to come of it because the Supreme Court's controlled, Congress and Senate are controlled, but, uh, but at least more people know about it. And I've, I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me to say, I couldn't believe it, but you were right. You were right. I've been saying this for 10 years. Uh, 2016 election was rigged. 2012 was rigged. 2008, 2008 was rigged. Uh, it's a rigged game. They're all pawns in the game. I mean, what are the odds with 200 or 335 million people that the two people that end up on the top of the ticket for the two-party right-left system in our country are cousins? I mean, that's statistically almost an impossibility. And yet that's what happened with John Kerry and George W. Bush. Look it up. So it's a rigged game. They don't really care necessarily uh, what the party is. They just have their guy or their gal picked and ready to go, and then they use them. I have every reason to believe. I'm not suggesting that Trump was in on it. I think he had a lot of good ideas and his own independence, and obviously he was the benefit of a populist movement. But let's not forget, nothing is as it really appears. And can you imagine? And we know, by the way, that the pandemic was something that was planned for at least 22 years. They're in writing talking about it. It was not a novel coronavirus. It was a coronavirus that there were patents for and have been for 22 years. It's a real virus, to be sure. And it's very dangerous in some settings and for some people. But it was absolutely planned. That's no question about that. And you can watch part three of my current series where I document that uh, without question. I give 16 proofs that the pandemic was a pre-planned agenda. Um, but anyway, can you imagine, can you just imagine if President Hillary Rodham Clinton had stood up on national television and demanded that all born-again evangelical Christian churches stop worshiping God on Easter Sunday? There would have been an absolute revolution. Christians would not have stood for it. Absolutely no way. But a guy with an R after his name? stands up and says, oh, we got to shut down. You can't worship, which he did for nine weeks. Don't forget, to his credit, he eventually did, after nine weeks, come back and say, oh, we're done with this. Churches, you can meet, and thank the Lord he did. But at the beginning, he shut them down. First time since Constantine in the third century that Christian churches worldwide didn't hold services on Easter. Now, you think Hillary Rodham Clinton could have gotten away with that? I think not. So uh, there was a reason for everything. But we talk about fake elections, talk about global surveillance, the rise of the police state. Number five in the series, I talk quite a bit about the spirit of persecution because we know the Antichrist during his reign of terror is going to persecute both Jews and Christians. 
he comes as the rider on the white horse at the first seal judgment in Revelation 6, and he has a bow and a crown was given to him, and he goes out conquering and to conquer. That's his goal. He's, he's a purveyor of death. Jesus told us that uh, Satan is, and he's working at Satan's behest. Um, it, when you get to the uh, fifth seal, we see all of these martyrs who have been killed at the hands of the Antichrist. Now, when we ask who are these, these are the ones that came out of the Great Tribulation and were beheaded. Uh, at, when you get to chapter 12, Satan's authority again, I mean, Antichrist's authority and motivation come from Satan. And we read, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. Why? Because he's out coming with great wrath to destroy them. In the book of Revelation, you see a contrast or almost a back and forth juxtaposition between the wrath of Almighty God being poured out, the prophetic wrath of God and the day of the Lord's wrath, as the prophet Zephaniah promised, and the wrath of Satan. And it's the same word, orge, in Greek, and, and, and they're both competing. Why? Because it's getting to a climax. We're heading toward the battle of Armageddon when Christ is going to come back. He's going to cast the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire. He's going to put Satan in prison. And then after a thousand years, there's going to be one once-for-all final time-ending battle when Satan himself is cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet had been for the last uh, thousand years. Uh, so there's this spirit of persecution. Uh, he's going to turn his attention at the midpoint after the abomination of desolation on the uh, children of Israel, the Jews during that time, and many are going to be uh, martyred. Uh, and this is what the book of Daniel tells us as well, making war against the saints. He's going to persecute the saints. So if that's true, and it is from Scripture, are we seeing an uptick in persecution of Christians? Like never before. There are more martyrs for the Christian faith today than at any other time in, in church history, right? When we see this, you could read uh, any number of watch lists and, and other uh, journals and, and magazines and news reports about persecuted uh, Christians, even mainstream media is covering it. Uh, Christian persecution, this from 2018, and genocide is worse now than any time in history. Uh, so uh, is it coming to America? You better believe it's uh, coming to America. And it's coming rapidly. We can't, we, we somehow have this mistaken notion, even though intellectually we can understand the likes of, you know, Stalin and Hitler and Pol Pot and Mao and all these other horrific dictatorial leaders. Uh, but somehow we've convinced ourselves that America is a tyranny-free zone or that depravity shot, stops at the beltway around Washington, D.C. It's like we know that throughout human history, there are bad guys. And if we're believers who believe the Bible, we know theologically that depravity gets worse. But we've got this normalcy bias that keeps us from thinking that anybody in America, in, a, in the leadership role, would ever do something that bad. So go back and watch one of the series uh, titles in the series that I keep referencing called What in the World is Going On is, uh, I think it was the last one, actually, part six, Can We Trust Our Government? And I give example after example after example. I think there's more than 20 examples historically on the record of examples where our American leaders through the 240-some-odd years have intentionally caused harm through experiments and other things to American public. It's frightening. So that's, again, not to say that everybody in government is bad. I think every two years when freshman congressmen get there, it's harder to control all the congressional elections. They can control the senatorial elections but and the presidency and the Supreme Court, but they can't control every single district in all 50 states. So you have 435 congressmen. There's a small percentage every year that are Christians. They love Jesus. They love his word. They felt a calling to try to make a difference in this sin-stricken world. They run for office. They get some wealthy, like-minded believers to help fund them. They, by some miracle, get in, and they get to D.C., and two years later, they leave with their tail between their legs. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen the Gingrich Revolution, the Tea Party Revolution. We see revolution after revolution, and nothing ever changes because this is Satan's playground. Uh, and I don't mean to sound cynical. I think if God calls you to 
to run, you should run and you should try to make a difference. But we need to be realistic about this. It is happening. We saw just recently, I don't have it on the screen, but Department of Homeland Security uh, put out a new terror watch list, which is why I think there could be a false flag in the next uh, couple of months, because it was a 90-day alert that expires in November. It says, watch out for domestic terrorists. Who are they? God-fearing Christians and people who question the government. You know, that, that's who they're saying is going to be the next terrorist, uh, domestic uh, terrorism. Even George W. Bush today, I saw this on, on CNN this morning, has given a speech in commemorating the 20th uh, commemorating is probably not the right word, but remembering the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, and he talked about how we need to be on guard against domestic terrorists. That's the next threat, right? Uh, so uh, it, is, it is, you know, coming. We're seeing persecution, and we've already seen it. Here's a clip. I think it's a clip. No, it's just a picture. This is uh, in Idaho. Maybe I'm sure some of you have uh, seen this, but this is the police arresting Christian worshipers at a church for the terrible crime of singing praises to God out in the open air. You can't do that in America. <laughs> you can't do it. Actually, in the series, I show a clip of it. You can hear them singing praises. Here's one from Canada. Uh, again, arrested for holding worship services when the government tells you you can't. This is a, pa a Christian pastor right here. And he was just engaging in civil disobedience. By the way, Red, White, and Bad, my DVD, I talk, I talk about Romans 13 and what the biblical meaning of that passage really is. So absolutely, we're going to see persecution. And then number six, the spirit of perversion. Uh, this is also part of the Antichrist future regime. Daniel tells us that he shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. Um, there is some difference of opinion among Hebrew scholars as to the precise meaning of that strange phrase in Hebrew, but my best uh, guess from a lot of scholars and a lot of research is that he's talking about homosexuality, that the uh, Satan is attacking the fundamental image of God and man. And we know from Genesis 1, 26 and 27 that God created man male and female. That's part and parcel to the image of God and man. And when you, when you, I call this the gender surrender movement. When you get done with gender, you have, you have obliterated the essence of humanity. And so it started with the homosexual movement, and now it's the transgender movement, and so on and so on. And they are, this perversion is just everywhere. It, it's permeating every aspect of culture. Here's a Disney Junior uh, TV show that is promoting the LGBTQ agenda to preschool age children. Uh, here's a 90-second TV commercial by Sprite promoting the LGBTQ agenda. Another, uh, you know, preschool age show on PBS, Arthur, where they show a same-sex marriage to these young kids. Disney Channel introduces a homosexual teen character to push the LGBT agenda. Planned Parenthood, this according to Fox News, is saying teacher, preschoolers, their genitals don't matter to determine their gender. They're doing away with gender. Right? Here's uh, Forbes magazine, July 8th, how to use gender-neutral language. This is from last year, July 8th. Even companies like Ritz Crackers are attempting to normalize the transgender lifestyle, airing a commercial uh, that has absolutely nothing to do with selling crackers. They just basically put lipstick, um, uh, have a man putting on lipstick like a woman and effeminately clinging to another man. And the uh, tagline is, where there's love, there's family. Redefining what family means. Not based on God's word, but based on this satanic, perverted Agenda, And they, they say in the commercial, we're encouraging people to rethink what it means to be family. They just come right out and tell you. Right? Hollywood, obviously, is a, a core center of the satanic agenda. A lot of people don't realize that Hollywood gets its name from the holly tree, which is what witches used to cast their spells. And if you watch uh, things like Out of Shadows and other documentaries, you can see just how steeped in satanic ritual abuse uh, Hollywood really is. So here's leading uh, celebrities uh, out uh, pushing their transgendered agenda. 
on, uh, on, on the public and in, sort of in your face. Um, here's uh, Adele, who lets her son dress as a Disney Princess Anna, pushing gender-neutral parenting. Uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, world superstars, are being praised for allowing their daughter to dress and act like a boy. Megan Fox is lauded for allowing her son to wear a snow-white dress. And again, Megan Fox, this time allowing her son to wear an Elsa frozen dress. Jaden Smith, who's the son of superstar Will Smith, hopes that his gender fluidity will pave the way for others to wear whatever they want. The 21-year-old started wearing dresses in 2015. He's 21 now at the age of 16. And by the way, he was recently named the face of Louis Vuitton's women's wear campaign. This is Jaden Smith in some of the Louis Vuitton ads. Toby McGuire and his ex-wife made headlines with an afternoon outing where their son Otis was dressed in a girl's skirt. I mean, hooray for Hollywood, right? I'm not sure what to make of this one. I, I, I've used this uh, example a lot, and I keep forgetting to go back and try to figure it out. But this model from Australia, uh, and I won't try to pronounce the name because I'm not sure how to pronounce it, honestly, but was the first model to be androgynous and work both the male and female runways at the Paris fashion shows. And then, of course, uh, here is CoverGirl announcing the first cover boy, right? And even wholesome magazines like J. Crew are using blatant propaganda to celebrate transgendered children. So we absolutely see the spirit of perversion on the rise today. Um, we see, we talk in the full series more about public schools and more about Hollywood, more about some of these other things. But finally, and I'll close with this, the spirit of pluralism. Uh, we do definitely see, according to the biblical record, that Satan is going to usher in a one-world religious system. It's the reason I don't think he's going to be Muslim, I don't think he's going to be the Pope or Roman Catholic. There's no way that uh, the future satanic leader, the Antichrist, is going to be able to get everyone to come together and worship him if he associates with one religion or another. So Daniel tells us that he's going to deny the gods of his fathers, which I believe means he's going to have perhaps come out of a Muslim tradition, very possibly, but he's going to deny that and basically have open arms and welcome everybody into a pluralistic uh, society. Everybody has to sit together around the table. It's setting the stage for the coming one world uh, religion. So that, uh, you know, and we see this already. We see pluralism very much on the rise, even within some so-called evangelical leaders uh, like Rick Warren and others who have shared the platform with Muslim clerics and Jewish rabbis and Catholic bishops and others and all trying to sort of can't we all just get along uh, concept. Um, Roman Catholicism is definitely becoming more ecumenical. Uh, the former uh, pope said this, to guarantee the protection of the environment, there is an urgent need of a true world political authority. Um, such an authority would need to be universally recognized and to be vested with the effective power to ensure security for all. This from 2011, the Pontifical Council on Justice and Peace. This transformation will be made at the cost of gradual balance to transfer of part of each nation's powers to a world authority. And the current Pope says it is essential to devise stronger and more efficient organized international institutions with functionaries who are empowered to impose sanctions. He called for a new world order in light of the pandemic, saying this time of trial can thus become a time of wise and far-sighted choices for the good of all humanity. Let us all keep in mind that there is something worse than the crisis, and that is the drama of wasting it. Um, he also refers to this as a great reset, the same way in his book. Um, his book is called God and the World to Come. That's the name of his new book. just came out this year, in March. God and the World to Come, and he says this is a great reset, echoing the words of Klaus Schwab. So we talk in, under this section about more about the one world religion. Uh, we talk about evangelical apostasy, what we see happening in so-called Christian churches uh, 
today. So we cover these seven topics in the whole series. Some of them we spend more time on, some of them we spend less, but we give you a lot more uh, details. But those are seven ways that the spirit of the Antichrist is clearly at work today. And each one of these corresponds to characteristics that we know from Scripture that will uh, be true of the Antichrist himself after the rapture when he takes, uh, takes the throne. So let me open it up now for questions. Remember, we've got these the full set on DVD if you're interested. I wanted to mention my two newest books. Both of them come, have come out in the last year. Uh, top 10 Reasons Some People Go to Hell and The One Reason No One Ever Has to. And then I have a devotional book. Uh, for years, I've written a devotional each week as part of our ministry that goes out to our newsletter. We compiled 52 of those into a weekly devotional list. So um, we've got about 10 minutes before our stated end time. Uh, not that we have to use up all the time, but anybody have any comments, questions, anything that we can uh, answer at this time and be glad to, uh, to, to answer any questions. Yes. Cross symbols? Yeah. Or he? It. Yeah, so the, the uh, audience member, for those watching the tape, talked about the uh, androgynous model, how he noticed that there was uh, cross symbols. Yeah, they're, they're undermining Christianity at every turn, for sure. Somebody else? Yes. I don't think I have. Yes, yeah. Is it a Christian movie? Yeah. Yeah, by the Kendrick brothers? Right. Yeah, I, I did see something about yeah. that just recently. Yeah. So Yeah, so the, the comment was about uh, a new Christian movie, the Kendrick Brothers Project, uh, called Show Me the Father. And they've put out some good stuff. I not really don't know much enough about that to comment on it. Um, but it gives me an opportunity to mention, because this has been kind of discouraging stuff, because we're dealing with the satanic struggle to take over the world. Let's not forget that the Spirit of God is alive and well and moving on planet Earth today. And there are pockets of revival. There are people getting saved. There are wonderful things happening in different places. The battle is far from over. And, it, of course, it, it is over ultimately because we know who wins in the end. But it's going to get worse before it gets better. But that doesn't mean that every single corner of the Earth is, you know, there's bad things happening. There are good things happening. People are, you know, coming to faith. People are uh, returning to the Lord because of different crises. So uh, we don't know the timetable. I always remind people there are two factors that are the biggest factors in the timetable of when we enter the end game. I believe we're kind of already at the doors of the end game, but I, I'm not, I can't say for, with 100% certainty. But there are two factors. One is obviously God's sovereignty. The, the, the Luciferians have tried multiple times through generations to usher in a one-world system. Even in modern times, they tried after World War I with the League of Nations. They tried with World War II with the United Nations. They've tried with different empires. You know, you could go back into ancient times with Assyria and Babylon and the Medo-Persians and, of course, Rome. So that they, you know, the reason they haven't ushered in the one-world system yet is because God hasn't allowed it. You know, but there's a second factor that that we have to recognize, and that is that the 
that God is not the author of confusion, which means the only other option is Satan is. Satan is the author of confusion. His regime and his co-conspirators are not omniscient. There's infighting, there's conflicts, there's competing agendas, and sometimes the people make mistakes, and, you know, that's uh, what I think happened with the election. Uh, you know, the, the, the good guys' hackers were better than the bad guys' hackers. It just depends on who got the keystrokes in last, and they announced, you know, it's not an election, it's a selection. That's the way it's been for years. But uh, So there are competing agendas, and sometimes, uh, you know, they, they shoot themselves in the foot. And so we don't know about how big a role those two factors will play. So we need to be prepared, as we talked about from Proverbs 22.3. We need to recognize that the outlook and the trajectory are not good. But God is still God. God is in control. And praise God for his spirit and, and for positive things like this movie, potentially. You know, sounds like it could be good. Anybody else? Yeah. With the uh, statements that the Pope makes and the statements that you would make daily, would it be possible to think that he could be a false prophet that would, or he's definitely trying hard to get the job? He's, <laughs> you're saying he's campaigning for it? <laughs> so the question is about the Pope, and could he be a candidate for the false prophet? Could be. Could be a candidate for the Antichrist, too. I mean, he would have to disown Catholicism, but who knows? I mean, the way, a lot of the stuff he says makes you wonder. Um, I believe, and I'm sure Pastor Mark has talked about this before, that uh, because Satan is not omniscient, he has his man of the hour at the ready in every generation and has for 2,000 years. So, uh, for example, had the rapture happened in the 40s, perhaps Hitler was going to be his guy, right? So if you're asking me if the Antichrist is alive today, if someone asked me that, I would say the candidate for the Antichrist is alive today, and Satan's already picked him. But we don't know if the rapture is going to happen in our day. So I think the Pope, uh, it sure seems like that the way they're posturing and, and with the ecumenicism and the pluralism that the Pope is likely to play a central role. He, I don't know if he'll be the vice president. I doubt he's going to be the president. I just I feel like it's going to be someone from the revived Roman Empire, more likely. Um, and he's from wherever, Spain or something, this latest guy. He's a Jesuit. Um, so I, I don't know. I, he could be in the cabinet. You know, I, I don't know. He, he'll probably be a key player if, if it were to happen today. Um, but, uh, but the answer is yes, he could potentially be a candidate for the false prophet too. And for those of you that don't know, the beast and the false prophet uh, in the book of Revelation are just another name for the Antichrist and his second in command. Or as I like to call them, the president and the vice president. But anyway... Um, somebody else? Yes, right here. So the question is, what is, should our response as believers be to all this information? In the worship hour tomorrow, I am going to uh, share a message on how to uh, avoid deception. So I'm going to give some telltale signs and, and things like that. Um, I think we also need to remember that we've been very spoiled in American Western Christianity and that uh, many believers throughout the world, even at this very time, are suffering the worst form of persecution. Uh, and we have, I think, been uh, remiss in assuming that we will never have to face that here. I mean, you read all the books by dispensational pre-trib guys, and they just talk about how we're going to be rescued before it gets bad. You know, I don't believe that. No dispensationalist teaches that, but that's the assumption. Because, you know, for the last 50 years, we could never have conceived of things happening bad in this own country, right? So... But what we need to understand is that the doctrine of the rapture never promises that believers will be rescued before it gets bad. The promise is we will be rescued before the great and terrible day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's wrath, the 70th week. Of, what's that? Which is bad, but that doesn't, but it doesn't mean that it won't be bad for us. I mean, ask the Coptic Christians if they thought it was they were going to get rescued before it gets bad, right? 
So there's a prophetic, official, technical time period called the 70th week of Daniel, as I know you guys know, the seven-year tribulation. And we are promised that, and that's called the wrath of God, and we are promised we won't be here when that happens. But it could already be bad. By the way, I've taught this for years, and I just want to throw this out here to make sure that you, that you give it some thought. Um, people often teach that the Antichrist will usher in the one world system. The Bible does not say that. The Antichrist will take the helm of the one world system. And I believe that the one world system will already be in place, which is the reason he's able to quickly and hastily step right in. And you don't just snap your finger or sign a paper and it's a one world government. I believe it's very likely, especially if the Lord tarries is coming much longer, that we will already be in a formal one-world system. Indeed, many people have pointed out that de facto we're already in a one-world system. I mean, it's a globalist world. We just have pre pretense of national sovereignty. So just keep give that some thought. Yeah, but here and then back there. Right. It's, it's human government. So just for, I'm going to repeat, I'm going to summarize that and then give you my thoughts on it just for the tape. Um, the question is, uh, and by the way, I don't think I've ever used resurrected Roman Empire, but I tend to use revived, same idea, yeah. So uh, that the revived Roman Empire uh, is, uh, Ben is saying that in his teaching, he doesn't necessarily use that phrase because in a manner of speaking, the, the fourth empire in Daniel's, both Daniel 2, the statue, and also Daniel 7 with the beast, uh, is uh, never ended. So I would nuance it a little bit differently. I do think from a dispensational perspective, we do see a gap in time. We see that in Daniel 9, very clearly spelled out. I think there was a clear end to the Roman Empire. It may be one statue, but there's a difference between the feet and the legs, just like there's a difference between the midsection and the, the head. So... So clearly Daniel envisioned, and then with the beast, it's even clearer because they're clearly different beasts. Uh, so I think Daniel envisioned a, um, you know, a revival of, now you're right, it's not a fifth empire, right. it's a fourth, but it's a revival of the fourth one. But as far as it has that, I, I would differentiate between the official status of the Roman Empire and the satanic conspiracy. The satanic conspiracy is ongoing, behind the scenes, has been for 6,000 years. Um, are there components of that that are emanating from Rome for the last 2,000 years? Quite probably. Yeah, I would say absolutely, if you know much about the Vatican and what goes on underground there. But I would nuance it slightly different and not, 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 not imply that it's an ongoing empire that has been dormant and then reemerges. I think it's in, in the annals of history, in the same way that the Persian Empire ended and the Babylonian Empire ended and power was transferred from one king to another, the fourth, the original Roman Empire ended. It's not global dominance right now. There's no Roman emperor leading the world, uh, but it will reemerge from that from the ashes. That, that's my take. But it's a good it's good food for thought. We skipped you a minute ago. Let's go back. Yeah. Yeah, I would say I would agree with that. 
Did you have another comment too? Or? Yeah. Yes. So the question is, do I believe in a literal rebuilt Babylon? I do. I do believe in a geographic Babylon. Um, I, I think Babylon in Revelation has different elements and much the same way that in our own country, wherever the president is, that's kind of the seat of power. So if he's at Camp David or if he's on Air Force One or if he's in the Oval Office, POTUS is wherever the president is. You know what I, know what I mean? So I think the, the satanic uh, uh, antichrist regime will have an economic aspect, a political aspect, a geographic aspect, and a religious aspect. And um, because it's going to be a global empire, it's not necessarily the case that everything that goes on will emanate from geographic Babylon. I think that's where the headquarters will be. But he could have, just like right now in a national government, we have you know, Congress down the road, we have the Supreme Court over here, we have you know, all these different bureaucracies, FDA and whatever down the road. We have the White House here in a global government. You could have Babylon, which you will have, but you might also have, let's say, if it happens in our lifetime before America uh, crashes, then maybe New York City is the economic center. Maybe Rome is the religious center. I mean, we don't know. So I'm not, I think they're, they're not mutually exclusive. You can believe in a literal rebuilt Babylon and a spirit of Babylon as emanating from the Antichrist's uh, rule and reign. Anybody else? Okay. Well, thank you very much. So tomorrow we'll pick up with uh, One World Religious System. We're going to talk about that, what, what all of us have been talking about here tonight in the morning in the first session, and then we'll talk about some solutions. I'm done. Oh, stay right there. Oh, stay right here? Yes, yeah, stay right there. You can't escape. <laughs>